0: Morning, church. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. So glad that you're here joining us. If you're here in person, we just want to extend a special welcome to you, especially if you're new. We'd love to just say hi and um, just say that we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're watching online, we'd like to say welcome as well and just uh, invite you to connect with our online hosts that we have available for you. Comment in that chat box with others that are uh, viewing online. Um, just let us know that you're here and uh, we'd just love to connect with you during the service. This morning, after our third song we're going to have a time of prayer um, so I just want to make everyone aware of that and maybe God will put it on your heart to um, just uh, just come up here and we'll have people to pray with you um, and we'll, we'll have some music uh, playing in the background and um, so you'll just have an opportunity just to have prayer um, over you in your life. I just in, invite you to stand right now as we prepare our hearts to go into a time of worship. In John chapter 13, verse 6 through 8, there's uh, a section where Jesus is uh, washing his, the feet of his disciples. And in verse 6, it says this, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Later in verse 12, it says this, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I, what I have done for you? Again, Jesus said that he, they don't understand. But later we find out, he's washing the sins of his disciples. He's washing them clean, washing their slates. And this morning, I don't know what you've come in here with, but even for myself, us who serve here at Springbrook, we are all human. And sometimes we come in, we need a fresh start. We need our slates washed clean. And that's exactly what our Lord does for us. So let's rest in that this morning.
1: This time I'd like to invite many um, elders, uh, members of our prayer team, staff, or small group leaders to come to the front. Um, we're going to spend uh, a few moments on what we call up-front prayer on the second and fourth Sunday of each month. Uh, we like to spend some time praying for those that are either celebrating uh, something good that God has done in their life, or maybe a prayer request that they might have. Psalm 34 says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous; His ears are attentive. To their cry. And I love the idea that God is attentive uh, to our needs. He's attentive to our prayer requests. And so if you've got something that we can pray for you uh, about this morning or something that we can celebrate uh, with you, we'd like to invite you to make your way up to the front during this next song and members of our prayer team uh, will pray for you. And then Kyle will uh, close our time together with prayer in just a moment, but feel free to make your way to the front at any point uh, if we can pray for you this morning.
0: as a church corporately we thank you for what you are doing for speaking to us this morning for speaking life into our lives God thank you for allowing us to take time out of our out of our lives to just cry out to you and say father god we need you every hour every minute God, we need you. God, we just come before you so humbly. You are so great. And we are so slim and small in your plan, yet you care for us so deeply. We just thank you, Father. We all this in your name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. We're so glad that you are with us today. We get to celebrate a baptism service, and we love baptism services at Springbrook. I tell you, there is something that is just freeing about being able to get to the point where you can say and you can cry out to God, I need you. It's uh, freeing when you can come to the point where you recognize your need for help, and uh, you're able to cry out to God in a way that um, He is listening, and He always answers. And uh, it's exciting when someone cries out to God and and recognizes their need for a relationship with Christ and. It says that the Holy Spirit enters into them. They become a new creation, and God begins a new work. And we get to celebrate that every time we do a baptism service at Springbrook. And so baptism is a, it's a symbol of life change. And I just want to encourage you that if you have questions about our relationship with Christ or what baptism is, we would love uh, the opportunity to talk with you as well. This morning, though, we have an opportunity to uh, celebrate the baptism of Jeanette Zelensky. Jeanette's going to come out, and uh, we're going to baptize Jeanette. So... <laughs> Take it a little bit more. Just a little bit this way. I know that um, I have talked. To, I, I have had the privilege uh, of being able to hear um, Jeanette's testimony of faith. And um, I, I told her, I said, we should have recorded. She can't share it without without the emotions part of it. And so, <laughs> but it's been so encouraging uh, to me to hear how God has been working in your life. I know you lost your husband, Ed, this uh, this year, the beginning of the year. I know that you've got some things going on uh, with you and that you've just come to a place where you have leaned on Christ in a way that you have uh, not leaned on him before. And it was encouraging uh, for me to be able to hear how just how you shared how much um, our church family has met you through this process. I know you have connected um, to a small group, and we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Um, but just the uh, the importance of those relationships that you've made with people at Springbrook, the importance of those relationships uh, that you've made uh, with the people in your small group. Um, you are a role model for what it means for us to be able to help people to come in and discover in the fullness of who they are in Christ. It is a, such an opportunity for us to be able to celebrate um, this day with you, and so we're looking forward to uh, that. So let's uh, uh, in celebrate your baptism. Let's go ahead and get that going. And so uh, there we go. And that water I was assured was nice and warm. I didn't stick my hand in there. So we'll see. How is it? (laughs) There you go. All right. Then we're going to go around that way. We're going to plop down. I am so excited for you. (laughs) I'm so excited. Jeanette, do you believe that uh, Jesus Christ is God and that he died for your sins? that he ascended into heaven and that he's going to return one day to gather the believers to be with him. Amen. Well, Jeanette, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then take your time, <laughs> All right. I'm going to get wet. I'm going to do a side hug for this. (laughs) All right. If you have any questions about baptism, we would love the opportunity um, to talk with you um, as well. And if you have an opportunity, I know if you're in Jeanette's uh, small group, you're going to have an opportunity to get to hear that story. Uh, Thank you, Lauren. And so I would encourage you. That's the perfect spot. (laughs) And so I just encourage you, if you uh, know Jeanette, to... um, I uh, just get to let her share a little bit about her testimony. It is really powerful. You know, she's going to write that out, and hopefully we'll get to do something with it um, soon. Uh, but the other thing that was really encouraging for me personally um, was to listen to her talk about the importance of her small group. You know, we talk about uh, small groups and the important role that they play in helping us to to grow in our faith and to build relationships with others. And I love Sunday morning I love being able to celebrate um, who we are when we come together corporately. I love the opportunity that we can worship and sing and praise God and and get to open up his word together. And so there's something important about what happens when we come together corporately uh, that we don't want to lose. But there's also something that happens in the context of a small group that is just irreplaceable. Because it's in the context of a small group that you can build relationships with others. You can study. You can ask questions one another. You can sharpen one another. You can pray for one another individually and encourage one another in the faith. And so Jeanette's testimony embodied... All the truths that we've come to understand about the importance of the needs for small groups. And so if you are interested in joining a small group, would love, this is a great time to join a small group at Springbrook. And on September 24th, we're going to be kicking off a new series called Trite Not True. Um, and we've got some small group leaders. I think I saw Mike Seymour and I saw a couple of guys standing out there at the table. And I know Mary Zaletti is opening up her home for a new group um, for women. And I think that uh, we have... Um, Another couples group starting up is uh, Wes and Melissa, I think are starting up a couples group. So we have many new groups that are starting, and all of our small groups at Springbrook are making room for people that would be interested in joining a small group. So if you want more information about that on your way out this morning, you can stop by the tables. You can't miss them because there's balloons flying around everywhere. <laughs> But uh, if you've got any questions about small groups, I know Pastor Jeff or myself would love the opportunity to talk with you. You can go to our website. You can text uh, small groups uh, to that number. But let us help you to be able to experience uh, the joy of what it means to be in community um, with others. If you're new to Springbrook, we're glad that you're here as well uh, today with us. as We celebrate baptisms. If you're new watching online, we're glad uh, you're here as well. There's a place for you to uh, fill out that online connection card if you're in person with us. Maybe you didn't have a chance to come up and share a prayer request and we can pray for you. There's a place for you to share that on the back of that connection card as well. And there's a place for you to drop those connection cards off in the back on your way out. Or be sure to uh, connect with one of our online hosts if you're watching online uh, this morning. And I just want to encourage you. There is so much. I was looking at the announcements and we're just thinking about things that are happening as we move towards the fall. And I got to tell you, I'm recovering right now because I saw Christmas trees in Costco last week. I'm thinking, no! (laughs) I'm still trying to get my pumpkin spice latte. But as I look at fall, we have got some exciting things coming up. It's just too much to talk about at any one point. And so I would encourage you, if you do not visit our website frequently, uh, I would encourage you to do that. If you haven't signed up for our weekly email, I'd encourage you to do that. Or download our app. We've got some really exciting things coming up. We've got board game night coming up next Tuesday. I know our men's are going to be getting together for bags and barbecue. Uh, Grab something off the grill, and you can watch the game together. Um, Awana registration is open now. We've got all of our leaders that have stepped into Awana, and uh, that is now open for registration. Um, We've got some exciting things coming up in October for our church family as we look at our hosting a fall festival. We've got marriage date night we're going to be hosting as a church. There's There's too much stuff to communicate that to you on a Sunday morning. And so we communicate to you the important things, um, but if you have not connected with us on our, uh, whether it's texting or on our app or on our website, please do that. And we don't want you to miss out on all the great things that God's doing in and through us. I do have one announcement for you that's really important though. Um, For children's ministry, we are still praying for a children's ministry assistant. And so I know Rebecca Suarez stepped into the director role a few months ago and left that position open. And we are praying diligently for a children's ministry assistant. So if you or someone you know might be interested in that, please go to our website, springbrook.org jobs. The job description's there. You can pass that on to someone. But we, our children's ministry is important to us. And there's just a lot of work that goes into overseeing that ministry, uh, check in, following up with parents, and so that is an important role uh, overseeing um, our children's ministry. And so, if you are interested in know somebody, please uh, let us know. And then, also, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, to thank Michelle Ha, who stepped out of our children's director position. Uh, I think it was back in May. With her new job, she needs to step back as our treasurer as well. But Michelle has been our treasurer for five years, <laughs> and so she has done a fantastic job. So, I first want to thank Michelle. Uh, for her role as our treasurer. As she steps back, she's going to see us through our September close, but we are also praying for someone that might be interested in in filling that um, treasurer volunteer role. So if you want to know more information about that, uh, please, would love the opportunity to talk with you. In fact, I talked with somebody this morning uh, that might be interested in that, but be praying with us for both of those roles. They're really important um, roles for us as we think about strengthening um, our ministry, and I want to thank Michelle for that. But visit our website, uh, and if you've got any questions about that, um, please let us know. I heard there was a, uh, a football game today, which threw me off, so that's supposed to be a big deal, right? <laughs> but today is also a 9-11 weekend. Monday is, of course, the uh, 22nd anniversary of uh, 9-11, and so we want to also take some time to um, just to give thanks for those that run towards the face of danger, that run uh, to protect us, and so our first responders are important to us at Springbrook, and so you know, police, fire, dispatch, our medical doctors, nurses um, we have we have people that run towards danger and protect us, and then we have a lot of people that know we lost their lives on the holiday and so 9-11 is a time that we're supposed to remember I was thinking about uh, I was reading some online articles about 9-11 it's been 22 years, and, and uh, it's like a, at some point you, you never forget, and you're, you're always remembering that. And so it's one of those dates that's hard fast in my mind. If you're younger, you might not remember that. Uh, but for some, um, I can remember where Kennedy was when he got shot. And so there's, there's things in your life that are milestones that we all share together. And so there's something about remembering you know, the lessons from, from these uh, tragedies. And I was reading through an article uh, by a man named Philip Yancey, um, who is probably the most famous for writing a book, What's So Amazing About Grace? He's a, um, a well-known pastor. Um, he wrote this um, within one year after 9-11. I want to share this with you. He says this, 9-11 caused a massive shift in perspective for our country. There's a sense that everything has changed in a single morning that made us look at our land, look at our society, and look at ourselves in a new way. It made us live in consciousness conscious awareness of death. It made us notice that most of our lives had been filled with things that are trivial, and we had been forced to turn to our spiritual roots we must never forget. There was talk of unity everywhere. Our attention turned to the physical and spiritual needs of others. Church attendance spiked, and leaders began predicting a national revival. It wasn't long after 9-11 that we forgot Discussions turned to arguments about military support, the Patriot Act, governmental policy, racial profiling, and so much more. The lack of unity over this past year has not been the only disappointment. That foretold revival didn't come either. And so as I was reflecting back on 9-11, I was thinking about all the things, the milestones that we've been through um, together. You know, uh, 20 years after 9-11, we all moved into this season of covid where we were again forced to look at our land, our society, and ourselves in new ways. We were again forced to live in conscious awareness of death. We noticed again that most of us had filled our lives with things that are trivial. We had been made aware again of the physical and spiritual needs of others, and we were forced again to turn to our spiritual roots. And again, the discussions would turn to arguments about governmental policy, profiling and more and people left the church. We had families that left because we did not say that government the covid was a government conspiracy. We had families that left because we didn't require hazmat suits when we returned in person. It's sad, but it appears as though we are always able to rise to the occasion in the midst of turmoil, but we never seem to be able to remember the lessons. And so, as we approach this passage this morning, it's going to be a call for us to be able to keep central those things that are central, things that we must always remember and never forget. We are always able to maintain a sense of unity. Revival always seems to somewhat elude us. Our political divisions seem to get more embittered. We lose sight of the physical and spiritual needs of others, the needs of those that are around us, and sometimes it's those that are closest to us. And this is not just a global issue. It's not just a national issue. It's an issue that is in our community. It's something that we all experience on a routine basis. In just the last few months, We have had now over 157 people through our Explorer Reach Initiative that have now reached out. We've been matched with us with physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Our community is desperate revolving around spiritual and physical needs, and we have them in our church as well. I know what many of you are going through. We have physical and spiritual needs everywhere. We're surrounded by them. You know, we have, uh, through our Bless Initiative right now, we have 16 families, now 17, somebody just signed up this morning, that have adopted uh, over 600 homes in our community, and they're they're praying for, and they're looking for opportunities to care for the physical and spiritual needs of their neighbors, and share Jesus with them. And as we go through this process, we're going to uncover yet even more of the physical and spiritual needs of those around us. Our passage this morning from Mark 2 has never been more relevant than it is for us today. And if you're already familiar with it, I want to encourage you this morning to hear it with me uh, for the first time. Mark 2 speaks directly to the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives. It speaks to the, the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives. And then it gives us four examples of what it means for us to be a friend to the people around us that have physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And I want to invite you to put yourself in this story as I read beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. If you brought a Bible, you can turn with me there. If you're watching online, there's a place for you to click that you can read along as well. But listen beginning in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. Many people gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let him down on a bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw him and he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning them in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they had questioned this within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you might know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them and all were amazed and glorified at God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, this passage is uh, familiar to some, but And when I read through it, there are so many lessons in this passage. It is packed full of lessons. But there are two specific things, two specific topics that I want to look at this morning. And the first one is the centrality and supremacy that Christ needs to have in our lives. And then we're going to look at four characteristics that we're to have if we're going to bring those in our circles of influence to come to know and follow Jesus The scene of the men digging a hole and ripping off the roof is somewhat overwhelming. (laughs) Every time I read that, I was like, that's the first thing that always stands out to me. It would be as if in the middle of this morning, right now, all of a sudden you start hearing, and stuff was falling on your head. (laughs) That's what's happening. Jesus is preaching and, and he's teaching and there's, there's no room for people to be able to, to get to him. And so the friends come in and, and, and they're ripping through the roof. And, and so when you read through this story, for me, the imagery of that is just something that just overwhelms uh, the rest of the passage. And if it's, it would be easy for us to get overwhelmed by that story and to miss really what the, the key point of this passage is. It's overwhelming. It's so overwhelming that we can miss the most important the verse, and we see that in verse 5, regarding the centrality and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our life. Listen to what happened uh, in verse 5. In, in, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes were sitting there questioning him. Why does he speak like this? And so the, the, the passage focuses us on the reality of what Jesus is really able to accomplish for us. When Jesus saw their faith... After the dust had settled and all the stuff had gotten brushed off everybody's clothes and the man is sitting there on his mat, he looks down and says, your sins are forgiven. Now, that's not why I was there. I was kind of hoping to get rid of this paralytic thing. I wanted some healing. But Jesus sees his true need, his spiritual need, and says, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes call him on it. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And that is the million-dollar question: Who can forgive our sins? Is there anyone that's perfect? Is there anyone that's without sin? I've I've done this a I don't want to exaggerate exaggerate a thousand times. Is there anyone here that's perfect? I have never had anybody raise their hand and say I am perfect. We all recognize that we're 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 broken in some way. We all recognize that we have a a problem there's brokenness. We see it in our community. We see it in our lives. We all recognize that there's a sin problem. And how about forgiveness? Does anybody need forgiveness? And so when you're talking to people about sin and forgiveness, it's really, it can be difficult for people to talk about. Sometimes it makes it uneasy. And, 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 but, you, but you know, that's the issue that Jesus is hitting on here. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a fundamental question that each of us needs to be able to ask. And it looks like this. So that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, only God can forgive sin, but Jesus can forgive sin. We know that only God can forgive sin. That's what the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of for the blasphemy. By the way, that's why he would be crucified was because of that. And so, We know that only God can forgive sin, but Jesus makes the claim that he can forgive sins, which leads us to the conclusion, the therefore is, is that Jesus is God. And not everyone believes this. In fact, if you're talking to somebody that goes to a Mormon church or a Jehovah's Witness church, they will tell you that Jesus is not God. And so there are those out there that teach that Jesus was just a good man. He was a prophet. He was a moral teacher. But there are very few people that will be able to look you in the eye and say, Jesus is God. I mean, ask your friends and ask your neighbors. When you're at work tomorrow or when you're at, work, when you're at school on Monday or when you're out in your neighborhood, just, just take a poll. Just start asking people, hey, do you believe Jesus is God? And see what you come up with. There are very few people that understand the reality of this truth. And the implications of it are important. We must understand the centrality and the supremacy that Christ has in our lives, as not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. Jesus is God. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose to prove that he was who he claimed to be. And so Jesus was God. He he died on the cross for our sins and he has been resurrected and he is seated now at the right hand of the Father. He told his disciples in John 14, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to take you to be with myself. that Where I am, you may be also. And so Jesus is physically seated at the right hand of his Father. And he has given us the Holy Spirit as a counselor, as a guide And so we have one God, and we know that the Father is God, and we know that Jesus is God, and we know that the Holy Spirit is God. So the Trinitarian understanding of who God is is complex but true. Nobody asked me my opinion, and I didn't write it. (laughs) So when I'm discussing it with somebody, it, it it can get a little tricky trying to explain to somebody how there can be one God, but yet exists as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it is a scriptural reality that we are forced to embrace and it needs to affect how we live out our lives. And so Jesus has an important role to play in our life. And so I grew up in a home. I believed in God. I didn't have any problem talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But, but understanding the importance of what Jesus accomplished for us on that cross and what that means for us should be central to our view of, for how we live out our life. The world is fallen and broken. We all know that. But the solution is that as we place our faith in Christ, as we repent and believe of our sins, we can begin to recover and pursue God's original design for us. Jesus is the, is the central figure of our faith. And it's got to be okay for us to talk about Jesus. It's okay to talk about Jesus. I know it, there's confusion culturally, but it is the, it is the central theme. It's the central idea. It, it's the central part of who we are as Christ's followers, is understanding who he is and what he accomplished. And then the other reality is that he is going to come back. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, concerning the time and the seasons, brothers, you, you have no need to have anything written to you. No one knows when the, when the son's going to return, only the father. There's no need for speculating. You don't need to try to read the signs. You don't need to worry about the Da Vinci Code. There's no point of trying to go through and add things up. No one knows when Christ is going to return except for the father. And so I don't need to write anything to you regarding that. For you yourselves are fully aware that when he does return, he's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know when, but we know that he is. And so we live in this holy tension of knowing that he's going to return but not knowing when he's going to return. And Paul writes about that in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. While the people were saying this, beginning in verse 3, while the people were, were saying there is peace and security in our life today, when they say that there's going to be a sudden destruction come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness For that day will not surprise you like a thief, for you are the children of the light, the children of the day, and we are not walking in the night of the darkness. For God has not destined us for wrath, in verse 9, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Jesus is God. He did die on the cross for our sins. He is seated at the right hand of the father and he is going to return. And for those that have a relationship with him, they have the assurance of spending eternity in his presence. For those that do not have a relationship with Christ, they have the assurance of spending their time in hell. where there's going to be weeping and there's going to be gnashing of teeth. Heaven and hell are a reality. They're biblical realities. You can't talk about one without the other. And the centrality and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ is a critical question that we must each answer. You know, Paul was addressing the Thessalonian Christians about the timing of the second coming. There's an uncertainty about his timing. He's saying you don't need to know those. You don't need to worry about it. Jesus could return at any moment, but we need to live with a daily sense, a daily anticipation that today could be the day. And so what happens is we live with that anticipation and then what happens is we get to the next week and we get to the next week and and we have forgotten. It is easy for us to read these passages, to, to hear teaching like this and to be reminded when we walk out of here, today could be the day. But then forget. Because we have a tendency to forget. We're to remember and not forget, but we forget. And we need to remind each other and we need to build one another up, as Paul says in, in Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as in fact you are doing. Coming together on a routine basis to remind ourselves of why we do what we do is important. Getting together in the context of small groups to study his word and apply it to our lives is important. We need to, we need to not forget <laughs> the importance of keeping Christ as the central and supreme thing in our life. And so Jesus um, would look at this paralytic. And I know that, uh, uh, that there's some lessons that we're going to learn from, uh, from the lives of these uh, friends, but the first thing that we can't forget, the first thing that we must always remember, is the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ in our life. That needs to be our first priority you know, as we read through in uh, Mark chapter 2, as you get into verses 3 and 5, we're going we're gonna to see four characteristics um, that we can have in our lives uh, to help influence the people around us to come to know uh, who Jesus is. And so there's four characteristics that we need to have if we're going to bring those in our circles of influence um, to uh, come to know Jesus Christ. And that might be Friends, it might be family, it might be coworkers, maybe it's somebody you go to school with, maybe it's your study partner. And so, think about your circles of influence. We all have at least five circles of influence. It's it's family, it's friends, it's coworkers, it's it's neighbors, and 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 so if you think about your circles of influence, when you get together, what do you talk about? I mean, I love a good football game, but a good football game is always an opportunity to work into a spiritual conversation. It doesn't matter who wins the game. I know where I'm going. (laughs) Say that when you get to your party today. It doesn't matter who wins, but I know I'm going to heaven. (laughs) We need to work into our everyday conversations the spiritual reality of keeping Christ central and supreme in our life. And and it is a part of that. And we're doing these things out of of compassion, out of of commitment, out of Christ-centeredness, and out of confidence. And so as we look at our passage in Mark 3 through 5, we see these four characteristics clearly. They came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. The four men came carrying the paralytic. When they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So we got four ands and four principles, four characteristics that are central for us to have in our lives if we're going to, like the four friends, bring our friends and family members uh, to come to know who Jesus is. And the first characteristic we see is compassion in that first verse. They came to Jesus bringing their paralytic friend to him. You know... The four men had a friend that clearly had physical and spiritual needs. And they could have done many things (laughs) other than go to the work of trying to figure out how to get him to Jesus. These four guys had compassion on the needs of somebody that was close to them. And so we've all got relationships with people around us. And so as you think about your relationships, um, can you think about the needs of anybody in your family, in your neighborhood, you know, in your workplace, in your school? You know, one of the things that I really, really like about our Bless Every Home initiative is we're praying for our neighbors is it helps us to start to be able to see the people around us from God's perspective. Because the second you start praying for somebody, and the second you start looking for an opportunity to connect with somebody, you're going to see the physical and spiritual needs of the people around you. And it's that compassion that you have for them that are going to enable you to begin to build on that relationship. And that's what these four friends had with their paralytic friend. You know, Jesus had performed 37 miracles. As you read through the New Testament, there's 37 miracles. And every single miracle, as you read through the New Testament, every single miracle that Jesus performed, was for someone that had a need. Somebody had a need, Jesus performed a miracle. Somebody had a need, Jesus had a miracle. 37 times. (laughs) Jesus' miracles were always in response to the need of somebody around him. And in every single miracle, the purpose of doing it was to point people to the reality of who he was. The paralytic was lowered down by him. And what did he say? Your sins are forgiven, so that you might believe, stand up from your mat and walk. And so those miracles point us to the reality and the supremacy and the authority of Christ. And so when we think about the needs of the people around us, as we show compassion to them, we're opening up doors to help others to understand their spiritual needs as well. And so it's not just, we're surrounded by physical needs, but, but the primary concern for us is, is where we're going to spend eternity. Cancer does not have the last word. Tumors do not have the last word. Hospice does not have the last word. Death does not have the last word. Christ overcame all of those so that we could find peace and have the assurance of where we're going to spend eternity. And out of our compassion for those around us, we earn the right relationally to start entering into having conversations with them. It's our compassion for others that motivates us to want to connect and share with those around us. And so if we're going to bring others to come to know Jesus, if our church is going to have an impact on reaching our community for Christ, it's got to be rooted in having compassion for the people around us that don't have what we have and we need to be looking for opportunities to minister to them in in periods of need. Compassion is the first characteristic that each of us must have and and collectively as the body of Christ our church will be effective if we start working from a position of compassion. And then the second characteristic is commitment. When they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd (laughs) they didn't go back home. They removed the roof above him. <laughs> they tore it off. They made, it wasn't like they you know, moved some leaves around. I mean, this is a construction project. This is the stuff's falling down. You know, they were committed to get their friend to Jesus. And when they couldn't get there, they didn't give up. You know, out of our compassion for others as we have opportunities to share our faith. You know, we, you don't need to worry about praying whether or not you should share your faith. You don't need to say this prayer. Father, would you please help me to know if I should share my faith with my (laughs) friends? You don't need to pray that because it's a command. We're supposed to be doing it. What we need to pray is that God would increase our faith so that we can step out to do what we know we're supposed to be doing. That's the commitment part. What we need is a commitment to bring people to Jesus. You know, we need to act on it. And there's so many barriers for us as we think about how to share our faith. Well, it's going to be it's going to be embarrassing. Or, or you know, or, or I might offend them. Do you think that that guy that owned that house was offended when his roof got tore off? I would be wondering, hey, who's going to fix that? You know, the funny part was as they left and the story never comes back It says, and they all came back the next day to fix his house. <laughs> our commitment to bring our friends and neighbors and family members to Christ is is going to be important if they're going to be able to come to know and understand the hope that we have within ourselves. And so it's out of our compassion for others that we're motivated to share, and it's our commitment that enables us to step out in faith and actually do the sharing. And so we need to be committed to seeing our friends and neighbors and co-workers and schoolmates and classmates and those around us come to, come to know who Christ is. It's out of compassion and commitment that others will be drawn to Christ. The third characteristic is Christlikeness. You know, when they had made an opening, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. And I love this scene because they placed him right next to Jesus. It wasn't over there. I mean, they dropped him right next to Jesus. And it says Jesus looked down at the paralytic. He is like right there. And so it's not just like, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Man, I am going to drop you right at his feet. (laughs) That Christ-centeredness is really important. When we get together in our small groups, for example, we love getting together. I love the food. I love the fellowship. But we have to study the Bible in our small groups. If you go to a small group at Springbrook and you do not hear the word Jesus at some point during that small group study, I want you to personally email me. (laughs) We've got to talk about Jesus in our small groups. And so when we get together to study the Bible, we've got to have the Bible in there. We have to keep Christ at the center of our conversations with people. You know, we talked about our our relationships are important. But when we get together to talk, the discovery and the discussion, it's got to be around biblical values. It's got to be around Scripture. It's got to be around who Jesus is. Because you can't move into the affirming and the accountability and the application to our life without having Christ and Scripture being the central part of that conversation. And so I love it. These guys, these guys dropped him right at the feet of Jesus. And in the same way, in our conversations, we have to be committed. We have to go right there and be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. You've got to get comfortable saying his name. We've got to drop people right at his feet. We have to keep Christ central if we're going to help those in our circles of influence come to know and understand their need for a relationship with Christ. And the fourth characteristic is this, is confidence. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, sons, your your sins are forgiven. Faith results in forgiveness. Faith results in salvation. There's a confidence about our faith that leads us to be able to experience the hope of the reality of the resurrection and Christ's return. And it's not self-confidence When we go to talk to somebody about Christ, it's not I'm confident about what I can say, but our confidence is is that if I get this person to Jesus and I drop him at his feet, that the work of the Holy Spirit is going to draw him into a relationship with themselves. And so our confidence is not in ourselves. It's not in our ability to be good, clear, clever speakers to explain the depths of theology to somebody about how to have a relationship with Christ. We are witnesses. We're sharing with other people what Christ has done in our life and we're dropping them at his feet and he is doing the work. Our confidence is not in ourself, but in Christ. And so you do not need to be afraid of what to say. Guess what? Every conversation I have with somebody, there's a sense of fear. Am I gonna say it right? Am I gonna push them away? I mean, fear comes from an internal fear that's focused on us. And we can know that if our faith is in him and our confidence is in him, that whatever, transparent, whatever transpires is gonna be a work of God. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And that's a characteristic that we have to have if we're gonna help our friends and those in our circles of influence come to understand the hope that we have within ourselves as it relates to who Christ is. Confidence comes from knowing Jesus, offers us forgiveness and new life. He saw their faith and said, your sons are forgiving. Faith results in forgiveness. Faith results in salvation. And so do you believe that? Is your confidence in Christ, is your confidence in what Christ has done in your own life, and can you share out of that confidence so that others can be drawn into a relationship with himself? John Calvin was a um, a, uh, French theologian, that uh, was a prolific writer uh, during the 1500s, during the Reformation. He writes this about the four friends in his commentary on the passage we just looked at. He said, the paralytic's friends would never have submitted to so much trouble nor contended with such formidable hindrances if they had not derived courage from their entire confidence of success. The fruit of their faith appeared and they're not being worried out when they found out the entrance was closed up on all sides. These men were so sure of Jesus' ability that they would stop at nothing for him to see him. Is that confidence that you have in Christ enough to motivate you to be able to share with the people around you? You know, may this be true of us, at the end of Mark, when we see the believers watching this all come to fruition, when he rose up and he immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all, they were all amazed and they glorified God, saying, "We have never seen anything like this." Is that amazing? we need to keep the centrality and the supremacy of Christ as our first priority in life. And if we're going to have an influence that I hope we're all praying for, as we think about our vision to reach our community for Christ and build passionate followers, these characteristics are something that we can pray for for ourselves, that we would have compassion for one another and for others around us, that we would be committed to the the vision and the mission that God has given us, that we would be Christ-centered in our conversations and that we would have confidence that he is going before us. You know, we have a couple of opportunities. You know, I would encourage you, if you have not signed up uh, for our Reach uh, Bless Every Home initiative, that you sign up for that. Um, It gives you an opportunity to begin praying for the people around you. And uh, we are already having, I mean, this is our... This is Springbrook in the middle, and, and these are homes that are praying for their neighbors right now. And so we're looking for opportunities to pray that God would help us to be able to, to see the people around us. It begins by by even realizing that there's people around you and, and showing compassion towards them and, and, and then being able to care for them. And so you can begin praying for your neighbors, and then, and then when you have a, an opportunity to maybe bring somebody a meal or, or to say hello, or you have an opportunity to show care and concern for them, you can say, hey, I'm praying for my neighbor, but now I'm caring for this neighbor. And so I know their name. I'm, I'm, I'm building a relationship with them. And then at some point, you'll be able to say, hey, I don't care who wins, uh, but I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And you'll be able to share. And then now you're sharing your faith. Something, something as small as leveraging the outcome of a football game could be an opportunity for you to share the hope that you have within yourself with others. And so you can move into a position of sharing and then and then we're just going to continue to pray that God would draw people into a relationship with Himself, the big faith commitments, and would have an opportunity to, to disciple them. And so I want to encourage you. It would be so exciting for me pastorally to think that every single person at Springbrook is aware of who their neighbors are and there's praying for them. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, think about the impact if we if we mobilized our church to have an impact, an influence in our community. If this church disappeared, would our community know it? Would your neighbors know it? And I, I think I think they would. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys. I think uh, we are making great inroads to building relationships so that we can care for others and share the hope that we have with others. And so I want to encourage you, you can sign up for that. Uh, scan that QR code, text BLESS, or there's a number of different ways you can do that. And then I want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, um, to try one uh, next month. You know, we're going to be moving into a season where we're going to be looking at um, some statements that appear to be true, but sometimes could be a little bit misleading. And so it's a trite statements that are not true. And so we're going to be looking at a biblical perspective for what the Bible says versus what our culture says. And that's a series that we're working through on our Right Now Media account. So if you haven't signed up for that yet, you can do that either in your small group. Um, You can do that individually through the teaching on Sunday morning. Uh, You can do that on your own or you can do that virtually. And so um, we've got books. uh, uh, We have some curriculum out at the table. I think we We ran out of paper and a copy machine, so we've got a limited number of books today, but we'll have those out next week and the following week. They're going to be out there for the next three weeks. And so I want to encourage you, you can pick one of those study guides up. You can go through it on your own, or I would just encourage you to try a small group if you've never had an opportunity to do that. And if you're in a small group, um, just know uh, that I and our staff are praying for you. Uh, This is a great opportunity for you uh, to make room for other people in your group. I know that's difficult. I'm so grateful for our small group leaders that open their homes up, that are making themselves available uh, for others and what God would have for them. And so as we move into this season of what God has for us to fall, let's just be praying together that God would give us hearts of compassion, that we would be committed, uh, that we'd be clear about the vision that God's given us, and that we would be Christ-centered in our conversations, and that we would be able to see uh, the work of Christ accomplished. And uh, would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this day you've given us today. And uh, God, I thank you for the faith of those four friends uh, that brought the paralytic to Jesus. And I am grateful uh, for those that have invested in me, that brought me to Jesus. We, we, we all get brought to Jesus. And so I'm just grateful for those that have invested in us. Uh, God, I'm grateful for uh, Jeanette's uh, testimony of faith and for the work you're doing in her life, and the lives of so many in Springbrook. God, we pray that your hand of blessing would continue to rest on our ministry. Uh, we pray that you would go before us Uh, preparing the hearts and minds of people in our community for the good news about Christ. We look forward uh, to all that you have for us. We pray all these things for you and for your glory. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: And let our songs
0: be a sign We are here for you
2: And we are here for you
0: Let your breath come from heaven Fill our hearts with your life
2: We are here for you. We are here for you. To your hearts. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. Bye.
0: Father, as we just sang we welcome you into our hearts our prayer is that everyone comes to know you as their savior our prayer is also that every living thing that has breath speaks the name of Christ so guide us as we carry out your name this morning and for all of our lives amen We want to thank you just for joining us this Sunday for our corporate time of worship and our corporate time of teaching. We hope to see you next week as we continue our relationship series called Circles. As we prepare to leave this place, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in peace. Thank you.